0: This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between.
1: Hi, my name is Alex Bernard, Editor for Top Prop Management East, and I'm speaking today with Aaron Mills, Research Scientist with AAFC, or Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, in Charlottetown, BEI. Welcome.
0: Thanks for having me, Alex.
1: Glad to have you here. Today we'll be talking about malt barley a little, but first, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at AAFC. Yes,
0: yeah, so I've been at AAFC Charlottetown for about 10 years now. I'm an agronomist. I'm one of the only agronomists working for AAFC on the East Coast. Mostly, what I work on are uh, all crops other than potatoes, although I do do a little bit of potato work, but more as almost like a bioindicator crop. But I, I tend to focus more on grains, oil seeds, and pulse development work.
1: Okay. Yeah. I imagine on Prince Edward Island, you can't really escape potatoes completely. You
0: cannot run from the potato <laughs> here. That's for sure.
1: That is unusual. I've never met an agronomist who works for AAFC. How do you find that plays out when interacting with other researchers or working on projects?
0: Yeah. So as you know, the agronomist is kind of the uh, generalist of the team and, you know, everybody, they tend to have their specialty, whether it's insects or diseases or whatever. And so we take a little bit from all of those disciplines and just basically figure out how to make the crops grow as as well as they possibly can.
1: Nice. So do you find that you interact more with growers than other research scientists, or is it more that you just provide Um, that other perspective?
0: No, I I think you know for the most part I like I probably have more interaction with growers than some of my colleagues. Just I guess the nature of my work is probably a lot closer to what to what they're doing.
1: Okay, yeah. so what led you to research malt barley for maritime conditions?
0: When I was finishing up my PhD, I was working in a craft brewery in Annapolis Valley, and I've always been a fan of craft beer. Going through grad school, and uh, there was a definitely a need for more malt barley to be grown here on the East Coast. You know, everybody's familiar with the feed barley. It's an important part of our uh, potato rotation. And when I started working here, I thought, well, let's let's find out why we're not growing a lot of malt barley here and see if we can figure that one out and add a little value to the barley in the rotation.
1: So when you're looking for varieties that will grow in maritime conditions, is it more that you're looking at, are there native malt varieties
0: the big problem when we're growing these malt varieties compared to feed varieties is, you know, the Western varieties are bred to have this, what we call a hot enzymatic package. So the enzymes, if there's any moisture close to harvest, then the barley will start to sprout in the field. So most of the barley varieties have been selected under very dry growing conditions in Western Canada and the Midwest of the United States. So our challenge is finding varieties that have a certain amount of dormancy and uh, they meet some of the qualitative specs so that we can brew good beer with them. So that's the biggest problem or the biggest challenge is pre-harvest sprout resistance. That's what we call it. There's three main barriers to malt barley production on the East Coast. So we have the pre-harvest sprout, protein levels are all over the place here. So we have to control the amount of nitrogen that we give the plant. And so, you know, when we restrict the nitrogen, then we kind of lower the yield, but improve the quality. So that's something that we have to reconcile with producers. And then finally, there's quite a bit of plant disease here. So Fusarium griminiarum produces Dawn in Malt Barley. And so that's a challenge here where we tend to have a more moist and cool growing environment compared to Western Canada. So those are our three main challenges. So when we're selecting varieties, we're looking for varieties that can, uh, you know, tick those three boxes and provide a half decent yield for a good return for uh, producers.
1: Okay, yeah, I know yield is king is a common saying, but yep. in this instance, quality is probably far more important.
0: Yeah, it's you know, this year is a prime example. You know, we had excellent seeding conditions, fantastic moisture all through the growing season. Everything's dried off. And now we're getting some extreme moisture events, and so it could potentially knock over the whole card apples here. So we're just kind of looking for a window where we can potentially harvest our barley early and then dry it down in the bin rather than wait for it to dry off in the field.
1: Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask if drying in the bin is an option, so it's good to know that there is some sort of remediation possible.
0: Yeah, it was it's not really a widespread practice, but you know, soybeans have been growing here for about twenty years, so growers are kind of used to that idea of drying the crop down. And we only have maybe five hundred to a thousand acres of malt barley province wide, so it is still a very much a niche crop here.
1: Okay, this is probably more on the market side of things, but is there demand for more malt barley provincially yeah. or just in the region?
0: Yeah. So in the region. So traditionally, malt barley was fairly widely grown in New Brunswick. And, uh, you know, Canada malting has a fairly large operation in Montreal. So they'd be able to ship barley to Montreal. For us, it tends to be more of a just a shorter value chain where farmers are dealing directly with malt houses or dealing directly with craft breweries. So everybody kind of knows everybody else and you know, although it is barley, it's it's nothing like the feed barley that is widely grown uh, through the province. So, you know, it needs fairly intensive management, an aggressive fungicide program. And so you're giving barley the, you know, the love that you would give uh, spring milling wheat or something like that. And normally the, the price at the end, they were still barley prices, not spring milling wheat prices. But this year, With the way commodities are going, you know, everything's super high. And so malt barley is probably on the lower side compared to what it was before. Yeah.
1: Okay. So what would you or the maltsters, the folks in the malt houses, what do you look for in a variety?
0: We're doing a lot of work now. We have some heritage varieties being grown. We're part of this Eastern Spring Barley Nursery that's being run out of the University of North Dakota. And we've been part of that for about seven or eight years now. And what we're finding are the uh, European varieties seem to do better under high moisture conditions. So really, you know, the brewers have flavors that they're looking for and the maltsters are looking for flavors. But, you know, my primary concern is the farmers and, you know, that they can get a decent crop off of the field and it meets the quality specs. So. Like I joke that I have two taste buds and, you know, I, <laughs> I love craft beer, but, you know, in terms of telling the different malts apart, that's uh, really, it's not totally my wheelhouse, but really to be able to take as much guesswork out of it as possible, just from the variety side of things for the farmers is, is really important for me for variety selection.
1: Yeah. I know you work with Jason on hops research, so I know that. Oh hops... yeah, Jason. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I know that hops are kind of known for having very distinct characteristics. Would some of the folks maybe who have more than two taste buds say the same about malt barley?
0: Absolutely. We did do a firmer maltster brewer education thing. This was back in 2018. And we took six different barley varieties and brewed a, they're called smash beers. So S-M-A-S-H, which is, you know, single malt and single hop, right? just so we could tell the difference between the the malts. And, you know, even, even myself, I could tell there were differences between these malts. And so you have your variety effect. And then, you know, you may have some sort of a terroir effect in the different soils, and there's a whole management piece. And then the harvest timing is going to affect the flavor, the malting process, wherever the water, you know, there's so many different steps. And then the way that the brewer mashes in, mashes out the water profile of the brewery, there's so many variables that can go into the flavor. So if we stick with the malt quality specs and if everybody knows what those specs are and what they mean, then the brewers at the end of the day can kind of tailor their, their recipes into that. But, you know, the the flavors and mouthfeels between the different malts are fairly subtle compared to what you would experience with hops you know hops it's really a slap in the face sometimes with the different flavors so you know where you're getting blackberry or melon or watermelon or something like that whereas the malt flavors there would be more like a toffee or there might be a bread-like flavor or you know something like that and then there may be effects where a beer is almost chewier it has a better mouthfeel and things like that.
1: All important things, if you're fond of the craft brews.
0: I think so. I think so. It's all about the adjectives. I, I tend to just like to have a nice cold beer, you know, on a hot day. <laughs> and uh, I, I like it. You know, I, I like the, the hot, pure, more flavorful beers for sure. But, you know, getting into some of the adjectives I have, like, I, I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would just like to drink it, you know. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: it, is it cold? Is it in a glass? I'm happy. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah exactly.
1: And I know from reading about malt barley in Western Canada, and even from you saying it, like it is a difficult crop to manage, especially to get that quality without, like I imagine there are different requirements or limits on the types of inputs or like fungicides or things that you can use on it. So is that something that Eastern Canadian growers are having to figure out for themselves or is it similar Um, enough in the West?
0: No, it's fairly similar. I mean, it's not so much the uh, types of products, but more more so whether you use the product or not and uh so you know we're looking at fertility products where for example these enhanced efficiency nitrogen fertilizers you know like agritain and super u and things like that and we're looking at those to see if they would affect the protein differently than say a split application of uh, just straight urea the fungicides really we're looking at two maybe three fungicide applications, whereas growers growing feed barley, they'd be looking at maybe one, if any. So it's just a higher level of crop husbandry involved in in malt barley production. And out West, I think you're thinking maybe of like harvest aids, like glyphosate and things like that. So we don't usually have any Problems with it drying down. Like it's either wet or not wet. (laughs) So, you know, the evenness is not usually a big, big issue for us. So, okay.
1: And are there any takeaway messages for growers who might be considering malt barley that you have?
0: Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway would be for growers to get in touch with the malt house before they start going down the malt road and be clear on the specs that the Malt houses are looking for. But, you know, I'd also encourage barley growers to just look at some of the malt barley varieties out there just for yield alone. I mean, there's been so much breeding and development work done on two row malt barley in terms of yield and disease resistance that, you know, chances are they'll see a positive economic return growing malt barley varieties over feed barley varieties and they can just sell it for feed. So, they don't have to give it all the fungicide inputs to meet the malt spec. They could easily just reap those benefits of all the breeding and development that's been done in malt barley.
1: The varieties that come from the UK, do they have a different set of resistance or like, are they resistant to similar things?
0: Yeah, we found the people who are interested in those are looking more at the uh, niche value of growing those and the story, right? So overall, they have lower yield. They get the same management as... Like we're not really looking at disease resistance too much, although our colleagues in Brandon, a few of these heritage varieties are in their Fusarium nursery. So we do see some pretty good disease resistance from these these varieties, but they tend to have a lower yield and some other issues sometimes. But it's all about that short value chain and being in touch with the monster and the brewer and you probably wouldn't scale up to a thousand acres on some of these heritage varieties. They'd be like a one-off or, you know, maybe a smaller part of your annual production.
1: Okay. Yeah. And short value chains, especially right now, is a good thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To hear more great research and perspectives from industry experts, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts or catch up on past episodes wherever you listen to podcasts.